Welcome to Airtime, which is a signature artist interview series presented by AIR, Arts Incubator of Richardson. I'm Kitty Goddard, president of AIR, and we are delighted that you are here tonight. Uh, this is a very special Airtime. We have guest artists, Brad Oldham of Brad Oldham Sculpture. And for those of you who were involved at all in uh, Ricochet 16 this year and Ricochet 15 last year, you saw Brad's work. Um, as we call it, land in front of the Civic Center because last year we had bird and this year we had uh, bird in bronze on stone. So uh, those are just two of the wonderful things that Brad has done over the years. And then joining him as a guest artist this evening also is his wife, Christy, who is an artist, a storyteller, a developer, a creative, and a business owner in her own right. So we're delighted to have both of them. They have been good friends to AIR in the city of Richardson, so it seemed very fitting that they could join us. And then our, uh, we have a special treat because we have a guest interviewer along with our regular interviewer, David Fisher, who is from the, uh, he is assistant director of the Dallas Office of Cultural Affairs. We also have Kay Callos, who is the Public Art Project Manager for the Dallas Office of Cultural Affairs. So we are in for a real treat. Um, wanted to share, too, that this is a, a partnership with Eric Wise of Weltstar Advisors as a funder, as well as uh, a partnership with Alamo Drafthouse. And we are also funded in part by the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission. With that said, I would like to turn it over to David. Hi everyone, uh, thank you for being here. Um, in, in, normally we would be sitting down and uh, I would start by asking them a question saying, well tell us a little bit about yourself and your work, but they have uh, quite amazingly actually put together a, a short film. So the ways that this will work is Christy and I are gonna stand out of the way a little bit and then we're just gonna ad lib a little bit and explain what's on the video. Our company's Brad Oldham Sculpture. And this is a little snapshot of our, sort of who we are. The last slide showed sort of where I grew up in six generations in Texas and lived overseas and a few other places. But this, I graduated from Wesleyan. I started making buttons in my early career and then started with sculpture and then ended up making a lot of other stuff. And one of my favorite movies is One on One. Nice film back from the late 70s. And then this is a slide about, uh, you know, I was born in Texas, raised in Pennsylvania, lived in Washington, D.C., and then made it to Dallas. And the next slide is a little bit about myself. I uh, went to Texas A&M. Before working with uh, Brad, I was a marketing director in high-end automotive and commercial real estate. This is one of my early pieces. I call it Rocket Box. I chose this, uh, the flower growing in the sidewalk, because I'm a storyteller and I see a story everywhere I go. And then my movie that I chose to share with you tonight is Thomas Crown Affair. And the reason we do what we do is for our family in a lot of, a lot of ways. We love doing our work, but we like taking care of our three kids, too. Now we're going to pick up the pace. The first project we're talking about is Combination. It's a steel and concrete installation with a bronze uh, sculpture at the base that's in Midlothian. It's their first public art project. You'll see pictures of the fabrication and installation. There was a fountain in the space to where that's where the sculpture went. It's a 31-foot tall sculpture. We used steel and concrete because those are the industries in Midlothian. If you've driven by, you've seen the towers as you go by. This was a looped imagery that we wanted to pull in because of the closed loop productions we found in the um, factories there. 
Also, the interconnectedness was uh, to represent the community and how they work together and influence one another. On this particular project, we worked with high school students. We presented to the city council. We helped with the fundraising. And it was a lot of fun. Right. And then, oh, and we made a big wrench that we gave over to the city. Then we get into the traveling man, which was installed in 2009. It's commissioned by DART. And it took the place of the tunnels that used to run into Deep Ellum. It was called the Deep Ellum Gateway Project. Um, the birds are kind of special here because they represent the souls of the artists in the past and the entrepreneurs and all the creative people. And then we'll just run through a series of some inspiration drawings and we get into the engineering drawings coming up here pretty quick. And then the, I mean, it's just, you can tell from the drawings, it's a lot of parts and a lot of pieces and it's a very heavy piece and took a lot of man hours, a lot of stainless steel, a lot of rivets. That piece weighs 21,000 pounds just like it is. And the traveling man is as deep as he is tall and he's 38 feet tall. And how much does he weigh, Brad? About 70,000 pounds all in. And, the, and to us, the bones are as beautiful as the outside because the engineering and the installation of this uh, piece was very complicated and a, and a real challenge. Yeah, it was, it was about a two-year project, uh, nine months fabrication, and a lot of that was done on site, and then uh, about six months of engineering and another six months of design and sort of paperwork. And uh, people send us pictures they've taken with the traveling man. And this is, you know, we like to talk about engagement, community engagement, accessibility. And you'll see that people truly are engaged with this installation. Yeah, most artwork that we do, we, we invite people to be a part of it, engage with it, climb in it as much as we can. And then the birth of a city is located across the street from the stew pot in downtown Dallas. And it tells the story of Dallas from a hard scrabble frontier town and goes up into the mid-1930s when it became a city of note. And we had the opportunity to work with a mural that was Bywater Hogue, Jerry Bywater and Alexander Hogue. And it, so we got to pull in some imagery that had been lost and painted over and put it into a bas-relief bronze installation. It was important for us for this sculpture to have, knowing that it was leading up to 508 Park, to talk about Robert Johnson and he was in it, but it'll also be the Museum of Street Culture. So this is a very populous, story-driven narrative sculpture. There's 16 panels, approximately four foot by six. And then we get into Skater Bird. Um, this was an original rendering, uh, take, putting into a photo, and then this is the fabrication of it. He's about 22 feet tall, all installed. That's our daughter, Annabelle, there. She's at home tonight. But this lifted up onto the building uh, it's right catty corner to Fountain Place. So someone in there actually videoed it going up to the top, and by the time we got up there, she had sent us the video. So it was kind of fun. And this is our building at 1201 Ross Avenue. We're the retail level of a parking garage, and that's yeah. where we do our work. That's where we office. That's where we have a store. Yeah, just 1200 Ross Avenue. And when we, we had an event for Skater Bird, we'll see, skaters, we had 5,000 action sports people go through the garage starting with Skater Bird. They were vying for the Skater Bird Cup. The DCVB this year selected an artist of the year, and we, we won that with the Skater Bird project. This piece is in Chicago. It's called Chicago Works. We started with a sketch, made a maquette, and then we enlarged that, and then uh, the installation. This is in front of the Fairmont Hotel in Chicago off Columbus. And this was just a couple weeks ago. And then Wild Crops is a series of tabletop sculptures that Brad and I concepted while walking our dog Pete. They're iconic fruit and vegetable shapes. 
with animal characteristics, and we had the opportunity to enlarge sweet carrots to be 11 and a half feet long. It'll be going in Fort Worth. Yeah, the quote that goes with it is, may your words be as light as a feather or as sweet as a carrot, for tomorrow you may need to eat them. <laughs> this is at the uh, Marriott in Houston, uh, the JW Marriott. And the, it's in the lobby, but the wings extend through the window into the street for the griffin. They look like they go through the window. They actually install on the outside. And this is a, a private commission. It's in a backyard right now, but up on the screen, it's at the, we did a, a two-week pop-up at Fossil. There it is installed. You can see that on Forest Avenue near Hillcrest. It just kind of peeks over the fence. And then the Loom and Light team is at a hotel across from SMU. It's a 28-piece installation, indoor-outdoor, that's meant to combine a new, newly renovated part of the hotel with the existing hotel and the inside-outside, and to create a sense of uh, what embody what was different about this boutique hotel. And you'll see there's a video here of the sculptures leaving our studio. And sometimes we like to have fun with doing this kind of thing. And um, you can see that Brad's strapping in one of the sculptures into his truck. Yeah, if you go to Brad Oldham YouTube, these, a lot, we have about six or seven videos on some of our projects. They're kind of fun to watch. I like this one in particular. The music is really fun. That's Violet. And then uh, Great Potential. This was, uh, those are about 24 inches tall. And they're in a few locations. And we have a great potential pendant. This is a piece we did for National Geographic. It's in front of their building in Washington, DC. Uh, that was a life-size lion. We collaborated with Beverly Jobert, who started uh, or did a couple of movies on saving lions. Uh, 20 years ago, there were about 450,000 lions in the wild, and there's less than 20,000 today. There's Beverly and Derek Jobert. We did a tabletop version as well. And then this is our studio where we are. So like I said, we call it a store because we want to be very accessible. We have small item pocket sculptures, some pendants. We do community events in our space. We share what we have. And uh, we promote and work with other artists. If it's something you can't find anywhere else, we'd like to have it at our studio. And this is an example of an artist in LA who's an actress. And we had a, an event for her last December. And you'll see her artwork around our studio. And we give tours in studios, so if, I think Kitty's didn't been down a couple of times, but we try to engage and kind of share what we do, similar to what we're doing here, but it's a lot more interesting at our studio. And that's our dog, Pete. He comes to work with us every day, so if you come down, you'll see him. This was our summer picnic. And again, Skater Bird, on, he's 22 feet tall on top of our building and tends to be a place where people gather for sunset at some of our events. And that's it. So... Come see us anytime down there. Well, thank you so much. That was so fun. I feel like I could just we could just go home now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, you both, uh, I know you work together, and we'll talk a little bit later about how you uh, collaborate and work together, but how, what were your individual growing up artistic journeys? How did you become artists in school and after that? Uh, what is it that drew you to art and be, to become professional artists? Um, I think I created art as a career early on. I just wanted to be an athlete and went to college on a basketball scholarship and a degree in economics and was working on my MBA and opened up a business making buttons for a living. And then it just kind of, the path laid out in front of me for that and a lot of hard work, but got to where I was an artist. 
for me, uh, my I went to Texas A&M, as I told you, as a marketing major, and I worked in the marketing field for 20 years, probably, and uh, took art classes at night, and was always known as creative, but never as an artist. And I have to say, I mean, candidly, that my path to creating art was um, made possible by being with Brad. I mean, really, the two of us together, it's, it's when we're working together, it's, I, I believe, our highest and best use in how we're, we bring the best out in each other to make you know, place-making artwork. And uh, what, what is it that drew you to sculpture, to a 3D medium? I, I think I look at things a little differently. I think I always have. It's just once I started working in this, this sort of 3D world, I realized I, that I saw it differently than a lot of people and have the ability to kind of look at things and pull the use of materials out beyond what I think most people think regularly do. A lot of people just say no, and I usually say yes, and that gets us in trouble sometimes, but most of the time it works out pretty well. What would be something you've said yes to that you... All of our projects. <laughs> oh, that's not true. Well, I like... Um, how you can engage with sculptures a little bit different than I think other mediums in that in the way that we want it to happen is that you can touch it, you can feel it, you can stand on it, you can pick it up. You know, when you come into our store, there's there's not anything that's breakable. And we want people to reach out and feel, oh, feel the weight in a piece. And to touch and sit on a sculpture if it's that scale and it makes sense to do it. So I really like the accessibility engagement of sculpture. Yeah, they're breakable. They just we can fix them too. <laughs> well, and the, and it would seem the ability to look at it from many different angles, from the front, the back, the side, high, low, down, low, sitting, standing. Right, and yeah. the durability too. I mean, the long term. Brad often says that the sculptures will outlive us, and that they'll be here until somebody cuts them up or melts them down, which is very difficult to do. Yeah, so well like, that's, that's awesome to think about. That's the intention. Um, it, I, I kind of cut my teeth in the architectural world out in Vegas where most things below 10 feet are real and above 10 feet is sort of imaginary. And, and it's very abusive what happens to the restaurants and the hotels as far as how many, not, not on purpose, but there's just so many people. And so you have to build things pretty durable. And we've taken that and expanded that into our artwork where... We try to think what's the worst thing somebody can do to it mm -hmm. um, and think about how to maintain that and how to build it where even if they do that, it's still intact and still holds true to what the intention was. You've talked about your work as being engaged in placemaking or creating spaces mm -hmm. for people. And you've worked in a lot of different places in Dallas, in Ontario, in Washington, D.C., Azerbaijan. Is there one location that sticks out in your mind that was particularly successful in engaging that sense of place? I, I think there's two places. I think uh, we did a 14-foot Wayne Gretzky in Brantford, Ontario, and I think that has been received and photographed probably more than any other piece of artwork that we've done, even though we don't live there and I'm not fully uh, privy to all of it. But when I go back there, the amount of kids that go take pictures in front of that sculpture, it's daily, monthly, and it's teams of people that travel there to do it. And then the Traveling Man is just Yeah, I was going to say the been, Traveling Man. You know, man. if you go to uh, Traveling Man Dallas on Flickr, there's 
thousands of photographs. And people, people send them to us all the time, and we try to post them on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook, and it's, right. it's really fun. Right, I maintain fun. Traveling Man Dallas's Facebook page, and that's, that is a Facebook page that's 100% organic, that people send us. We needed a place to put the imagery and the thoughts and the feelings that people are sharing with us. We've had um, people write their Texas history report on Traveling Man. We've had songs written about him. You know, we showed in the video that uh, I think we were pretty blown away about the tattoos. That was yeah. that was a mother and a son. Yeah, and that wasn't well, us. Yeah, that wasn't us. <laughs> we don't have well. those tattoos. No. And um, in another touching moment was when the uh, a, well, a woman, we unnamed woman, made the uh, shoes and the scarf for the traveling man. And she's a puppeteer, and she said he looked cold, and she really wanted him to be warm and comfortable in the neighborhood. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of stories of the traveling man, and we really really feel honored to have been a part of that. Yeah, and to your question too, as an artist, when you create public art, you you don't always expect the validation, but it's really nice when you get it. And the day we took the fences down for Traveling Man, there was a couple there with a wedding gown and a tuxedo taking photographs. Um, Skater Bird, within 15 hours, we had that photograph of all the skate, skateboarders underneath it. They sent us that picture and said that the skateboard gods had answered their prayers. Um, Birth of a City was received very well. Brantford, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky was received very well. It's just, we've been lucky to have really great acceptance of what we do. Well, speaking of validation, in uh, 2010, Traveling Man was voted as one of the top um, public art pieces in the United States and Canada. What did that mean for you? It, it was really exciting. It, it, what, we, what we had heard at the time was that that was the Academy Award for artists. Mm -hmm. but then it our, is. Then our document came. For public came, art, it is the yeah. Academy Awards. Yeah, but then the, the document came and it was kind of folded, so <laughs> a little anticlimactic that <laughs> way. No but there's no sculpture that attaches <laughs> yeah, to that. But, I know someone who could build that sculpture, right. though. Yeah. I, think, I think Americans for the Arts, we should talk to them about doing something for the yeah. winners, a medal a or something. Mm -hmm. No, we really should. Because, I mean, the folks that uh, competed for the Skater Bird Cup, they got Olympic-style medals with Skater Bird on it. So that, yeah. We, we do a lot of trophies for, or awards for different organizations, SMU mm -hmm. and quite a few others. I made the Congressional Patriot Award last year. Oh. <laughs> it was given to two congressmen, so that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I love what you had to say about us, about finding our best and highest good working together. Mm -hmm. So what is the process? How do you hand it off back and forth? Well, a lot of times there's no set process for who comes up with an idea or how it comes up. Sometimes we sit down together and brainstorm. Sometimes I wake up in the night. Sometimes Christy wakes up in the night or the morning. We will share those thoughts. We walk, we walk Pete a lot. He's, he right. goes on many walks. And mm -hmm. um, there's lots of conversation during that time because then our kids aren't rolling their eyes at us while we're doing it around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it, this is a 24-hour deal for us. We live it. It's You don't quit at five o'clock and just go home. It's the ideas will come when they come. Um, once they do come, we will talk about it. Christy mulls it over and really works out the story and the wording and how to make it sound just tremendous. And my mind immediately blows it apart like you're looking at a washing machine blown apart where I, I figure out how we can get to the finished product. And then, then the materials and how to use them and 
you know, what I, I consider foundries are like doctries. doctors. You know, you have better foundries for small pieces, bigger pieces, parts of pieces, and then fabricators are the same. I don't, I don't do all the work myself. If I did that, we really would just be a small company, but we're, we do a lot of different work, you know. Right. For, for me, in, in terms of the process, it starts with conversation for sure with Brad, most definitely. I like to go within and write. And sometimes I'll write a poem. Sometimes I'll just do some brainstorming and doodle. And sometimes I'll write a story. And, and even, like for example, with the uh, Wild Crops collection, for that uh, collection, we developed personalities for each piece. And we uh, pretended like we invited them to a dinner party. We wanted to have the most amazing guests at this dinner party. So each wild crop has a uh, famous person that's behind them that you don't know about as the, the viewer of the installation. But it's, um, it's pretty cool because it comes through and it makes for a really tight concept. So we'll do some kind of crazy behind-the-scenes stuff like that and just really tighten up the concept. And then once it, the concept's identified and we know what it is, then Brad and I kind of parallel path. But in the beginning, it's a little messy. It's brainstorming. It's conversation. It's talking. It's trying to feel the soul of the place to articulate that in a unique and engaging manner. Yeah, tell them a story of who one of the people was. Oh, you mean for wild, for wild crops? crops? Yeah. Oh, well, like crocopee, which is the, uh, the pea... Um, with a crocodile outside. Yeah, he is Alec. Yeah, he's uh, Alec Baldwin in the hunt for red October <laughs> days. So, I mean, we really were very specific. It's not just Alec Baldwin. He's yeah. not 30 Rock Alec Baldwin. It's hunt for red October. Yeah. And that uh, particular sculpture was about being tough on the outside to protect what's sweet and precious inside. And we had the strutting artichoke, which is a... Rod Stewart. A rooster and, a, and an <laughs> artichoke. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we just—I mean, we just have fun, and I think that you know, you feel it. You feel it when you're getting close to an idea that's going to work, and and we we know each other well enough that there's a little shorthand there. I I know what Brad can do and how he can push materials, how he can push processes to get the best out of it, to get the best result of what we're trying to. You know, sometimes I think what's in my head is so amazing that I want to see it happen. Well, that's the guy that can make it happen. You know, so that's that's sort of how we work together. Yeah, and it's it's pretty safe to just, when I can tell Christy a story that is really great in my mind, and then I tell her, and she's like, well, oh, I don't know. And then <laughs> she does the same to me sometimes. I'm like, well, that just means this. So, I mean, it's, it's a very safe to be able to run that between the two of us before we put it out in the public. Right. When it gives us it almost this, this this invisible heart, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, even something sort of plain. What I mean, what's the story behind the acorns? Something sort um, of simple and elegant and wonderful. Um, Brad did the acorn for my mom after she died, and um, my family acorn was uh, an acronym for the people in my family. And she was born on October twenty fourth, so he did the uh, acorn twenty four inches long, and we decided we would just you know do those, and it was a sculpture for us, actually, to be candid. And uh, we had some in studio, and people asked them for it. You know, they liked them. So, and, and of course, I wanted to do the pendant, too. And uh, the acorn was so important for the potential 
you know, not only the potential that my mom gave me in going forward, but also just what the ACORN means to other people. You've developed a really engaging creative process between the two of you. Do you ever involve other people or tell other people's stories? I would say we involve other people occasionally, but it it's really tricky to say grab another artist who is on their own path and go down the path together. We've done it, I guess, really successfully with Brandon Oldenburg, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. he didn't do what we do. He's he's an animated, he's an Oscar-winning uh, film, you know, animated short. We haven't really found a way to do it with other artists because I think what happens is both artists feel like they're making art for somebody else. And one of you has a talent that the other one doesn't. So the collaboration is kind of there, but it's tricky to go through the whole process. Um, I think in terms, like when you asked that question, Kay, what came to mind for me was collaborating with our clients, collaborating with the space, collaborating with the community. Even when we worked with the students in Midlothian, you know, there, I mean, there's just some engagement there. There's something intangible that we get from being part of the community and um, listening to other people that I think sort of ends up in the final product of the sculpture, if you will. But um, I mean, I feel yeah. like I mean, I feel like sculpture is a team sport. I mean, we yeah. like Brad said earlier, we don't do it alone. We have people that help us and work with us and foundries. I mean, we do a lot of it. However, and I think that's where sort of the, the world of basketball and sculpture overlap for Brad. You know, five people on this court, and I can tell <laughs> you there's probably five. He's probably running the court, which is the workshop, at any given time. He's the team captain. Yeah, and I rambled on, and it's, it's not so much collaboration with other artists, but we collaborate with really everyone that we work, in, work with, all our clients and our employees and our vendors and our contractors, and it's, it just doesn't work if you don't. Do you ever disagree? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the yeah. way up here. For sure. <laughs> yeah, but that's, um, that's where the love for each other through the marriage and through raising kids can help dissipate some of the disagreement, you know, that you, you, you can realize that it's just business that we're talking about. It's not personal. But it's hard because when you get these ideas, these aren't just ideas to, like, make a widget. It's an idea for a passion, and and then when you share that passion, and it doesn't doesn't even come out of your mouth the same way that it feels in your heart, and then you realize what you said wasn't really right, and then definitely the other person didn't hear it right. <laughs> it's it's it breaks it down pretty quick, and you're like, oh, never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take a different path. Mm -hmm. Well, creative process often takes many paths, and sometimes they are paths that don't end up um, realizing uh, a work or or a dream. What have you learned from going down those paths that you ultimately didn't travel? There are a lot of clays around our studio that didn't make <laughs> it to metal. Well, you save the good ones. You save the yeah. ones that are really nice pieces of, we were talking, what we were talking about on the way up was craft versus craftsmanship versus art. Mm -hmm. And for my mind, craft is an egg carton and Elmer's glue even though it's not typically the right definition. And, and for me, it's more craftsmanship. And so when we take the time to develop the story through craftsmanship and then develop the sculpture or a maquette through craftsmanship, even if the client doesn't want it and it's a really good one, we really hang on to it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we, we develop and we have a bronze. We have a lot of sculpture at our house too. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any other people's sculpture? Any other sculptors who've inspired you? Or she has a lot of mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we we I have trade for art. I barter mm -hmm. a lot. So we have uh, Brenda Bogart. We have some nice paintings from her. Um, I really like Henry Moore and uh, Giacometti. So I have several pieces that were inspired by by him, not of him. <laughs> and then some other friends that are artists. I have good friend who sculpts dinosaurs and he gives me stuff and I give him things and he actually lives in Richardson's Jeff Johnson mm -hmm. and uh, a few other artist friends over the years that we've traded things in and out. Now ultimately this is a business you have to pay the rent and feed your children mm -hmm. how do you how does your work come about how do you get your next I mean they say for for freelancers it's a half of your job is getting your next job um, yeah. where does your work Come it's from, it's more than half. It? It's uh, we we work really hard and we sell all the time. So if anybody needs sculpture tonight, just <laughs> talk to me afterwards. Um, but it's it comes through meetings and collaboration. A perfect example of this is I I, I was on a four o'clock flight this morning back from Lubbock. But yesterday I met with the uh, Lubbock Entertainment and Performance Arts Association board. And on there, there were a couple of people that I think there'll be some further work beyond what we're talking to them about. And it's just looking and listening and realizing that when somebody's talking about something, seeing an opportunity, and then not being afraid to just say, hey, can we talk about that further? Because the worst they're going to say is no, and the best they're going to say is yes. And so it's, it's right. and then you get to have, hear stories and, you know, sometimes it's just a good conversation. Yeah, Brad and I talk about the difficulty of getting work when you don't have a body of work to show and how it takes some time to develop, you know, your name and your, your reputation and the, uh, the examples to show people. And it's very, it's very difficult to compete in public calls where you might have five images and 100 words, that kind of thing. We hope and we really want to get better at doing that and get some, you know, some additional work that way. In the meantime, we're just really, we pound the pavement. It's, it's not easy. And yeah. we talk to a lot of people and we present and we try to put our best foot forward. And, and I, I think what we do best is the work we've done is that we, you know, we've been what Brad says all the time, we're on time, we're on budget and the quality of what we do. And it's slowly but surely building. And that was fun even putting together the program for this evening to to take a minute and look back on the work because we're just looking forward all the time. Yeah, we have a large collection of privately funded public art. The versus That's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> that it's out in the community, but it didn't necessarily go through an open call. Well, there's public art that's accessible to a lot of people all over um, Richardson and all over Dallas that's not necessarily always funded by a municipal entity. So um, that's a great thing. So if you're going back to your collaborative process uh, again for a moment, which is the favorite collaboration and most successful in your minds that you've engaged in that you kind of continually go back to and go, wow, that was a really great process and the outcome was really fantastic? That's a good question. Yeah, I think the Lumen Light team, um, hmm. it was built off of the acronym Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, indigo, violet, blue. Hmm. Um, but the inspiration for the entire project came from a garage sale purchase in San Francisco oh, of this, this little piece we called the Reclining Oscar. And it's, it's a Giroux ceramics. From the that, 70s. Yeah, yeah, that Christy 
bought for 15 bucks, and I think it's worth about two grand. Um, the guy was just wanting to close it down, so he said, I'll just take it. Um, but we use that style that's in it, and we've used it a couple of times just as inspiration. It's almost like you would look at a Picasso and say, this is inspiration, or Giacometti, or Henry Moore. This little reclining Oscar that's sitting on a shelf at our home is really the backbone of a lot of pieces. But the way Christy was able to write that story, and then I was able to look at it and interpret each piece was really pretty fun, and it, it went pretty smoothly. And I, and I will say that when Christy writes it first, and then I get to interpret what she's written, that runs pretty smoothly. Smoother than if I say, I had this idea, and I can't really explain it because the words don't come out the same way as they do from Christy. Um, just like this morning, was a, I had a really good idea on a Buddy Holly project. <laughs> and so I was sitting on the plane at 4.30 this morning, drawing this out and writing it. And so I showed it to Christy, and I know she'll think about it, but mm -hmm. it really won't make full sense until we get to really work on it together. That's really, really interesting how that works. So uh, you talked a little bit about people engaging your sculptures, and we saw the images of, of the scarf and the boots. I drive by these sculptures a lot, and they get a lot of different outfits, uh, including um, ba basketball team jerseys at certain times of the year. I think I sent you that picture, and, and a couple of other things. What's the wackiest or most engaging interaction you've had with Traveling Man or any of the pieces of Traveling Man? I think there, there are two that come to mind. There's a, a band called the Flying Elvi, and they took their cover photo where they're Elvis, you know, jumping off of it. And then the other one, there was a photograph of about 40 Santa Clauses and a bunch of elves. That, that, that was probably the most interesting picture I saw. And these, most of these are on Waiting on a Train, the guy playing a banjo. Wow. And but it's, you need to make a, a collection of, uh, of just the interactions with that sculpture because they're, right. they're varied and they continue. They change with the seasons and the sporting events. And Yeah, the Mavericks were really cool about talking to us you know, to put a big Dirk Nowitzki yeah, they, jersey they on that. they talked to us beforehand. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, most people, if it's in a movie or a TV show, they, they ask us for the copyrights, you know, use of it. And the Mavericks knew that that was part of it. They, they do enough stuff that they understood that. I Even, don't think they understood what a big basketball fan, though, Brad is. When they called, <laughs> he was like, yes, yes, let's do it. Yeah, I, I told you I, I played college ball, and... and I remember I was 39, and I got a call in my office when I was working on some project, and it was the Mavericks. The guy said, this is Joe from the Mavericks, and I thought it was a call for a tryout. <laughs> in, in that four seconds, and then I realized, oh, he's probably just selling something. And it was, he, it was, was selling he, was, he was selling tickets. season tickets. <laughs> so we'll finish up, and then we'll take some uh, questions from the house. Um, how important, and, and how do you find that place is, is, is integral to the sculpture? The location, the... Well, for us, that's the most important part because we don't just create things and have them for sale in our studio. So the place is what dictates what we create. Um, a lot of... Like, we're going to South Carolina... Or uh, Charleston in uh, 10 days because the client asked us to engage them and help locate in a, a mixed-use housing development where artwork could go and how it could be best engaged. And so this is a new thing that we're developing. We've done it a couple of times, but they didn't, the, there's no broke ground, there's nothing. They asked, they sent us a layout and we have given them a proposal and a budget on what they could spend. And then we're actually gonna go there and look at it here um, on the 30th. And so that's, 
that's integral. Like we can look at a blueprint, but until we see the space, it's really hard to come up with exactly what it is. And then uh, we have a project in San Antonio we'll be starting. It's a, in a public uh, park. The place was so important. I remember thinking so many people have stood on this ground and looked up. It's in an Air Force base. And um, they looked up at the, the stars, you know, learning to fly. Now they're, you know, high tech. And so th we knew the sculpture had to have some sort of drawing your eye upward and to almost have, you know, give you an imagination or a dreaming effect because so many people have stood in that space doing that. We wanted to articulate that. Yeah. Any questions in the audience over here on the right? And, and just, just for, for the record, I'll repeat your question so that we get the question on the recording. Okay. Um, have, have you ever sculpted Pete? We, we have one sculpt of him in studio that is not finished, and then we have a large dog that's about four feet tall that we did at the Great Create at the Nasher um, that's still not finished either, but about 100 people worked on that that's inspired by Pete. Okay, and I want to add something that... Um, <laughs> We uh, send out a Christmas card with an ornament each year to people that are on our list. And I think a, if you guys want to email me your address, you can be on our list. But uh, I don't think I'm saying too much to let you know that Pete is in the Christmas card this year. Wow. <laughs> Very good. The, um, we had the opportunity to, to work with Jerry Bywater and Alexander Hoag's mural that had been in City Hall. It was painted over, I believe, in the 50s, but Jerry Bywater's grandson um, and their family gave us the permission to work with the, the uh, mural. It was a, such a cool piece. It showed so much of Dallas during that time, and it was just a shame that it was painted over. And it was a true honor to get to work with that artwork and add our own spin on it to tell the story of Dallas. And uh, I think Brad and I had this similar feeling. Neither of us were born in Dallas, but you know this is our home, and this is where we're raising our, our family. We kind of felt like you know that's when we fell in love with the city. I mean, really, the city from learning about it through their eyes first, and then of course we included Alexander and uh, Jerry in our sculpture twice. Yeah, it just so happened that we moved downtown the same month that we installed that piece. Mm -hmm. So it was the first piece to come out of our studio in downtown. So it was pretty fun. One more question over here on the first row. Um, yeah, it, it all starts with me um, because I have to imagine how it's going to be built and understand that it can be built. And then I work with different structural engineers because different ones have different capabilities and different interests. Um, so I work with about four or five of them. And then sometimes jobs that we're working on have structural engineers involved. So we, rather than us bill for it, they're already under the umbrella. Um, so it's really a big team effort of finding the right one who can understand what you're doing. Because just like architects and engineers, sometimes when you're looking at artwork, they don't look at it and fully understand it. So it sometimes takes explanation and understanding, uh, you know, some patience to, to make sure it works right. Yeah, and then you also have an engineer just says, let's make this beam this big and let's stick it right here, and that doesn't look very good. So you, you have to really walk them through it and make them understand that it's not just put 
four sticks on it and hold it up. It has to look right, too. So uh, thank you so much for this, this wonderful window into your creative process. We have one more thing, and that's a tradition here at Airtime, which is the top 10 short questions. And these will be sort of short answers or either or, quest either or questions. And uh, they're a sort of random way for us to also get a glimpse into you. And since we have two of you, I'll just shoot it to you first and then you. So, uh, so we start off simple. Pizza or hamburgers? Pizza. Oh, both of us. Uh, hamburgers. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Chocolate. Your favorite alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage? Vodka. <laughs> Water. <laughs> Beatles or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Beatles. Game of Thrones or Walking Dead? We don't watch either Neither. one. <laughs> the joy of cooking or the joy of sex? Both. <laughs> what song is Traveling Man Waiting for the Train playing or singing? He plays a lot of Johnny Cash. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of soulful like that. Yeah. The one place everyone should visit sometime in their life? Thermopolis, Wyoming. Palm Springs. The one movie everyone should see at once in their life. The Man from Hong Kong. Well, I, I, I like the Thomas Crown Affair. I mean, <laughs> with Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and our last question, the one historical question you would have most liked to have met. Question or person? Person. Person. Well, I'm totally into Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. I just really, I have a lot of questions for him after the musical. I think Geronimo. Geronimo. Yeah, an American Indian. Wow. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much to Brad and Christy <laughs> and our guest moderator, Kay Kalos. We'll turn it back over to Kitty to uh, close us out. Thank you. Thanks to all four of our guests tonight. Uh, what a thrill to get to hear about the creative process. And I don't know about all of you all, but part of me was really glad to discover that they're human. <laughs> but also, if you haven't been down to their studio, please go. It's an adventure. It's a story in itself. You will not be disappointed. So thanks again to Kay and Brad and Christy and David. And just as a quick reminder, um, the next airtime is February the 15th. 2017, a new year. And our guest artist is Dr. Dally Clark, who is a creative writing professor at Collin College. And the focus, focus will be on, and I had to write this down to make sure that I got it all in. So, and I've, just a moment. Good grief. Letter writing as an art in the digital age. And she is working on a very special project pertaining to letter writing as an art in many different facets. And the movie will be The Notebook. And now, please enjoy Frida. <laughs> 